I remember a beautiful Sunday afternoon when I was still a young man. It was late fall, and a friend and I were on the road home from another great men's retreat at Camp Barakel. And we were, we were having quite a time laughing about the events of the weekend and talking about the message that we'd heard and having a good time together, continuing in the Lord. Well, eventually, as we made our way south, I noticed a freeway sign. The sign said, Saginaw, 30 miles. That was not good because we both lived on the west side of the state and Kalamazoo was our home. (laughs) We hadn't really been paying attention to the world around us. And for a long time, everything looked normal as we drove along, but it wasn't. We'd be talking and focused on our own little world and we'd gone down the wrong path. Some of the church today is going down the wrong path. Father, thank you that we can be together this morning. We thank you that Jesus has made a way for us to have fellowship with you. And we ask that as we hear these words this morning, Lord, uh, use them as you will. Uh, Cause your church to... Uh, refocus on you or focus more intently and to be equipped and uh, empowered even uh, to be your witnesses in this place. God, things are getting crazy around us and you know that. Uh, We're asking for your help this morning. Let's start our journey this morning by reminding ourselves about where we're going, our destination. In Philippians chapter 3, Verses 20 and 21, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also await eagerly for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. Never lose sight of that. We have a destination. And our arrival there is sure. It's how we get there that varies among us. This morning, we're going to talk about some wrong paths that the world, and sadly, some Christians are headed down. They're paths that lead away from our intended destination and away from Jesus. We're also going to share some reminders about how well Scripture describes mankind and our tendency to make bad choices. In the first century, the Apostle Paul asked a question of the Galatian church, which Paul had started by his own testimony of what Jesus had done. The question to the Galatians is a valid one for today's church. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Jesus once said that we are the sheep of his flock. And that was a tender and loving statement. But some people find an offensive element to it. The human heart doesn't like being humbled. You see, we like to think that we're pretty smart, but frankly, sheep are pretty dumb and we're a lot like them. They need a shepherd to guide and protect them. I think our shepherd is once again warning us that we are in deep weeds and there are wolves among us. 
This morning, there are churches across America who, while claiming to still be followers of Jesus, are making adjustments to their theology and doctrine in order to be more inclusive, more affirming of others, and what they consider to be more positive and hopeful. They claim to be emerging into a new and better understanding of the love of God. Hmm. They're distinguishing themselves from the traditional church by adopting new descriptors for themselves. They say, we are the progressive church, which is to imply that they are progressing from a too narrow view of God's love and a too narrow view of salvation itself. This enlightenment allows for more inclusive and just and hopeful worldview. Apparently, they think this pleases God. It doesn't. God was pretty clear about the way to him. If you want to find out more about what the progressive church is thinking and what they're teaching, what they're promoting among Christians, you might want to look at a book called Kissing Fish. Uh, it's not a good book, and it's not written by someone who wants to help you be more like Christ. It's subtitled Christianity for People Who Don't Like Christianity. And as the name implies, they just change Christianity and then make themselves feel good. 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> excuse me, 4, verse 3, speaking of the church, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Has it happened? happened a long time ago. It's been said that four of the most terrifying words in the Bible are, God gave them over. As in Romans 1, 24 through 28, because man rejected God, exchanging the truth for a lie, he gave them over to foolish idolatry. We find the same principle of God giving men over to their delusions in the last part of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Before there was a Galatian church and a Roman church and a Thessalonian church, Jesus asked his disciples a pointed question, reported by Luke in chapter 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith? By most evangelical accounts, the church is now in the closing days of the age of grace. The world is tired of hearing it, but things are going to get worse, and judgment is coming. We are, with good reason, looking for the Lord's return. The question remains, will he find any faith? Not if the world can prevent it. American America is the city on the hill who once, since its founding, has been, the, has been shining the light of the gospel. America is now working hard to put the light out. Tony Perkins, Family Research County Council, May 20, uh, excuse me, March 21st of this year, reported that New York Democratic Representative Jerry Nadler, in response to a Florida rep's quoting of the Bible on the House floor, made the following statement. Mr. Stubbe, Nadler said, he pointed out, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. Wow, are you sure you want to say that? This is the same Jerry Nadler who, during a 2019 House of Representatives swearing in event, omitted the words, so help me God, then claimed he had just forgotten that part. Oh. 
Mr. Nadler is not alone in his opinions. He's representing the views of the dominant political party in America. And sadly, the views of a lot of people in the other party, too. Politics is not our hope. Recent research about religion in America has revealed that today, 47% of people belong to a religious congregation. Belong to, okay. Whereas in 1945, 75% of Americans did. Well, that's a change. This decline in religious affiliation aligns closely with many secularizing trends. For example, in the early 1970s, only 1 in 20 Americans claimed none on their, as their religion. You know how you're filling out the demographic information? None. 1 in 20. But today it's closer to 1 in 3. Over this same time period, weekly church attendance has decreased. The percentage of Americans who never attend services has increased from 9% to 30%. More statistics. More and more of us are believing that Scripture is just a collection of stories Morality tales, fables that were written by men. More and more people. Here just last month, April 2nd, Phil Zuckerman of the Los Angeles Times in an op-ed piece titled Why America's Record Godlessness is Good News for the Nation wrote the following. Democratic societies that have experienced the greatest degrees of secularization are among the healthiest, wealthiest, and safest in the world, enjoying relatively low rates of violent crime, high degrees of well-being and happiness. Clearly, a rapid loss of religion does not result in societal ruin. Where has he been in the last year? astounding he could have that and say that in public. The organic secularization we are experiencing in the United States is a progressive force for good, one that is associated with improved human rights, more protections for planet Earth, and an increased sociocultural propensity to make this life as fair and just as we can, here and now, rather than in a heavenly reward that fewer and fewer of us believe in. Well, yes, just look around. Everything's getting better, right? It's amazing how willing people are to stand up and boldly lie to your face while the exact opposite is actually happening. We can confidently say that most of humanity is looking for an alternative to God as the universal authority and the reason for life itself. Many thoughtful people are naively relieved that the various alternatives to God and his word effectively remove any threat of accountability for the choices they make. No authority means no accountability. We're just free to be the wonderfully evolved people that we really are. Hmm. Psalm 2 is a bit shocking, but there it is. God showing his sovereign authority over his creation. He's not worried or threatened by man's insolence. Listen to it. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers of, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And that passage ends with this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Rightly so. We are routinely exposed to the notion that truth is a relative concept. There's no real thing that's true. It's all relative. 
What is true for you may or may not be true for me. It depends on how I feel about it. Really? We're told that your truth, your morals, your thoughts are just opinions. If they negatively affect me or hurt my feelings, then they're not true for me. In fact, you have no right to even say something that might offend me. You hater. You bigot. You, you oppressor. That's what our society is saying. It's everywhere. Moral relativism is one of the defining characteristics of the enlightened new age. Oddly, incongruously to the spiteful, aggressive language we hear in our society, there is also a slick and soothing call to enter the global oneness. Have you heard this phrase, oneness? The gospel of oneness is emerging as the likely candidate for the coming world religion of the last days. Have you seen their popular coexist bumper sticker? All the religions are really the same. It hasn't just popped up out of nowhere. There's been a guided change underway for quite some time. Dismantling the Judeo-Christian framework has been undertaken in stages. Social changes followed the changes in Western thought. The Renaissance period gave way to the scientific materialism, which made for modernity, which was recast as postmodernism, which is now passing away under the influence of oneism. Oneness is in part a way to see and participate in life as a planetary community. Existing on Mother Earth for our spiritual evolution back to the unity of the cosmos, our true progenitor. Do you remember back in the 80s hearing Carl Sagan, the pop astrophysicist? Oh, he was so well regarded. He was fond of saying, we're all just the dust of the cosmos. Oh, well, he is now. And yes, God is still laughing. A fairly recent book titled Nationhood to Planethood, Berghoff and Schwartz, It's an exciting peek at the future as we set aside our differences and accept planetary imperatives as the rules for transforming a dying planet into the utopia we've always wanted. Why should a tree or a drop of water suffer under the selfish exploitation of man? Nation against nation is killing our Mother Earth. Global capitalism is squandering our precious and limited resources. These claims are being unquestioningly accepted by a majority of our youth. They may not be fooling you, but they're certainly fooling our kids. The Youth of the World Organization claiming to be a global democracy of children. Really? Children started this? It's declared a strategy. They said the first place to organize is in our schools. UNESCO of the UN has suggested that global citizenship education should strive to be a holistic and transformative experience. That's our UN working for us. Literally thousands of books promoting a one-world global community have been published and are available on Amazon and other sites. They're on the reading lists for high schools and university courses. Their simplified versions are well-established even in elementary education. 
already a hundred years ago. Benjamin Kidd, a British social academic, wrote, the influence of a collective ideal imposed on the minds of the young under conditions of emotion is incalculable. You seen any kids being manipulated emotionally by the media, by the games they play, by the music they listen to? Not a coincidence. Have you noticed these collective ideals in the life happening around you? Moms, dads, grandparents, this may sound hysterical, but it's true. They're coming after your kids your grandkids, your great-grandkids. A loosely affiliated but increasingly organized collection of global oneness disciples have been targeting our children for so long that some of those children are now grown and teaching the next generation. By the time our kids graduate from high school, they've spent thousands of hours in our schools and in front of our entertainment media being mentally and emotionally disconnected from their parents and shaped into enlightened global citizens of oneness. They've been made ready for college where their Christian faith will be intentionally and systematically destroyed. Do some College kids resist? Yeah, praise God for them. But sadly, most of them walk away from their faith because the smart people have told them that they're stupid if they keep following that faith. The movie God is Not Dead is now a mild representation of what's going on in our universities. We're told for years now that we had to tolerate all views and let all views and all voices be heard. Now that secular globalism is the dominant view, there is no tolerance for the other views. And freedom of speech doesn't extend to Christian thought. Christian academics are losing their jobs and being canceled for not supporting the new woke agenda. K-12 through schools and colleges are the incubators for the developing universal religion of oneness. Its principles and resulting worldview are tied closely with eco-responsibility and now social justice. For many decades already, our understanding of God being our creator has been at odds with the worldwide education system. As an example of how organized this threat is, Consider the Global Citizenship Congress, organized for youth and educators. Oh, they didn't invite you? It was convened in Vancouver, Canada in April 1997. It was organized by Robert Mueller, former United Nations Assistant Secretary General, an influential guy, author of the World Core Curriculum and creator of 11 separate UN agencies. He organized this conference. The following is an excerpt from it that I found in the book Game of Gods, The Temple of Man in an Age of Reenchantment. Sounds like a crazy title. This is from a Christian guy, Carl Tekrib, who has done his homework. And he has looked closely and deeply at how all of this has developed and makes a very clear call. Christians, wake up. He writes, at one point during this conference, students were given the assignment to brainstorm ways to promote the acceptance of the global oneness philosophies. After some discussion, it was agreed that creatively placing global citizenship values into all subject areas of school was the most important way to influence young minds. Huh. International problems requiring global solutions such as overpopulation would be embedded into literature, history, and mathematics. When they give you a math problem, it's a story problem, we used to call them. Now the stories are about global citizenship. 
constantly reorienting the thinking to the global oneness. Planetary awareness would be emphasized along with calls for collective action by entrenching emotionally charged global concerns into the lifespan of formal education and in turn facilitating the responsive values, the correct oneness philosophy would become profoundly infused with the fabric of society. Mission accomplished. Ask any young person. We would create social justice warriors, as one student said. Make it a virus. No inoculation. Infect everyone. We weren't talking about COVID, but golly, COVID sure was handy. Participants agreed that creatively placing global citizenship values into the text reading of all subject areas was the most important way to influence young minds. Yes, you may be thinking, we kind of did that. Yes, Christianity has been doing this for decades, weaving God into comprehensive curriculums. But those are voluntary. Voluntarily accepted, even requested by students and their parents. But now the overtly godless public schools are using the same approach to involuntarily indoctrinate the world's youth. As for parents, you are expected to stay out of the discussion and stay out of the way. The Educational Elite Conference ended with a costumed actor portraying the Hindu deity Ganesh and speaking to the audience. So here's all these young educators and all of these youth leaders in their schools, and out on the stage walks a guy with an elephant head and multiple arms. The Hindus know him. He's their god, Ganesh. And he says... I have been around for thousands and thousands of years. You can call on me anytime to remove your thoughts of any obstacles. If you should ever worry or anguish or if life gets you down, whisper in Aum. Call on loving Ganesh who is always there for Ganesh is none other than you. Because everyone is Atma, part of the universal everything. We are all of one being, one spirit, and the one spirit is God. That's the truth I've come to teach, and it's the truth that underlies what you call visioneering. That's a direct quote from a guy who went to the conference to see what they were up to. Try to bring God or Jesus into an event like that. See how far you get. But Ganesh is cool. He helps everybody realize their own deity. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Oh, my ears are tickled. As you continue in relationship with people you care about, you need to be listening to the words they're using because, as a popular radio host used to say, words mean things. People are using vocabulary to mean something other than a standard definition. It's not really slang, but a woke lexicon of words and phrases and expressions that help identify those who are woke and enlightened, as opposed to those of us who, because of our self-centered, narrow-minded clinging to the past, are just woefully inferior. Please don't think of this as an American phenomenon. It's truly global. Europe is well down the path, and the various leaders of the EU are smiling and pushing their chips all in. This is the way to go. All over Western Europe, there are public displays of art that depict 
ancient deities and ancient spiritual symbols. Art that's put in, out in front of organizations that are there to guide society. They're looking past to ancient lies. Most of the Vatican, under the leadership of the current Pope and those some few before them, are fully on board with the agenda of the oneness revelation. It is not hard to find their public statements that clearly reveal an eager willingness to reshape the hearts and minds of the faithful into a global awakening, a spiritual oneness. I imagine the peoples of India and the Far East are smiling and saying, what took you so long? They've been there. In the many countries of the African continent, tribal roots have kept millions in bondage to ancient and cruel spiritual masters. But those masters have made for an easy transition from local mystic practitioners to the Mother Earth Goddess who seeks faithful protectors of her environment. Generally speaking, we have to acknowledge that the church in Europe is nearly extinct. The church in North America is in significant decline, and the church in many places is experiencing significant and sometimes brutal persecution. Are you alive and well? Praise God, there's a remnant of the true church that still remains. But unlike in the past, where threats were usually from a single source, the threats are now myriad and getting stronger. Moody Bible Church Pastor Emeritus Dr. Erwin Lutzer has recently authored an excellent overview of the foundational change that has occurred in America. We Will Not Be Silenced is the title of his book. It's an encompassing and sobering look at who we are, who we are now and as a nation and, and how we got there. Thankfully, at the end of each chapter, he points us to Jesus and focuses our attention on our true hope. He also highlights significant things that we can still do to represent Jesus in a transforming culture. Oneness is absolutely antithetical to God's description of himself. God clearly points out through Scripture that he and his creation are separate and not the least bit equal. There is no universal oneness of all things. There is God, self-existent and all-powerful, and separately, and at his will, there is humanity and all other created things. The sum of all things is not him. It's just the work product of his creative power. All his stuff, so to speak. There's a basic understanding in Christianity. It's called twoism. There's God and there's everything else. And they are not the same. And yet, the new religion, the oneness, is saying, oh, nope. We are all one. And because we are, that means you're God too. Why do we believe this? Why do, believe, why do we believe in twoism? Because the Bible says, the Bible says it and witnesses said that Jesus taught it. That answer was adequate in previous generations. Bible said it, I believe it. That settles it. Okay. Not good enough for this generation. When the authenticity and the authority of Scripture was generally agreed upon, referencing God as the reason was generally accepted by people. That's no longer the case. Most people are now happy to have shed the restrictive and restraining, antiquated and unenlightened stories of the Bible. 
Tis just a dusty old relic of the past. A few reasonable questions come to mind. I would like to say to them, and do, who told you that? Those people that are telling you about the oneness doctrine, that are telling you that you're the dust of the cosmos, Who told you that? Do you remember their name? What kind of life did that person lead, the author of that book? Have you checked them out? What evidence did they offer you that their alternative authority is true? There are a lot of truth claims out there. What have their advocates done to prove that what they claim is, is true is in fact true? Christianity has one foundational reason to believe. It all boils down to Jesus' resurrection. All other claimants of worldviews or philosophies or explanations of who we are and why we exist, they have a fatal flaw. Death took them and still holds them in the grave. Their arguments are without proof-positive evidence. Sure, some have died for their causes, but none have risen from the dead to say, see, I told you I'd rise from the dead, and now you can believe everything I've told you. Oh, wait, there was one guy. So many churches have said, it's this way or that. I said churches, so many others have said it's this way or that, but only Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled all the prophecies of Messiah and then defeated death. And since he did the impossible thing that he said he would do, we can now believe that the other things he said are also true. Including Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, why do you say that, Jesus? Well, I was dead. And I defeated death. You going to believe me or somebody else? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one born before him, no one born after him has his credentials. To believe any other person's alternate explanation of God or the world we live in is to be bewitched. Intentionally deceived. Isn't it interesting that the minute scrutiny of the Bible, its writers, its manuscript providence, its translation accuracy, its archaeological and historical evidence only result in more demands for more proof. Yet these same scoffers do not require a shred of evidence, much less proof from the authors of their alternative worldviews. Ever think about that? No one questions the teachers who satisfy their itching ears. People are told what they want to hear, so no proof is needed. I like it. Well, you're not being honest. There's a wide spectrum of acceptance of the oneness worldview. Generally speaking, and to varying degrees, this view is being routinely accepted by those under 30 years old. Okay, these are very weak numbers. Those over 30 can be said to be curious and accommodating. Hmm. And those above 60 can be considered resistant and therefore a problem. Eventually a problem that will need to be dealt with. In our time, it appears that large crises create an increased willingness or even strong desire to explore new possibilities. The old ways have failed us. Maybe we've been looking at things all wrong. These times are prime opportunities for deception. 
because people want an answer. They desire change. Rejecting established truth becomes easier, even popular. These days, your degree of wokeness is measured by how well you're going to fit in. How course, <clears throat> of course, only the woke are truly worthy of measuring another per- person's wokeness. Good news for us, though. God is not opposed to wokeness. Isn't that exciting? In fact, God was the first to declare that wokeness is a key factor in life. Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I noticed in my reading this morning, Mark chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus is responding to the Sadducees who are talking to him about the resurrection. Is there a resurrection? Here, let me give you a story. Well, Jesus says, you don't understand the scriptures nor the power of God. So there's a combination, the word and the power of God. In this age, it is the Holy Spirit who moves on people so that they can understand the witness and they can respond to Scripture and they can come to the Lord. It's God who draws. And both things are necessary. How much scrutiny has been given to authors like New York Times best-selling author Neil Welsh, who in his book Communion with God stated that you will all one day melt into the oneness. <laughs> huh? All is God and God is all. Everything is divine. Nature is God. And we're God. The energy of the universe is God. Well, Neil, where'd you get that information? What are you offering to us as proof that that's true? Nothing. It just sounds really good to a lot of people. Amazingly, demands for evidence and proof of such significant claims are nowhere to be found. We don't have inquiring minds that want to know. Remember that phrase from long ago? Just itching ears that want to hear. A large and diverse collection of new teachers, such as transpersonal psychiatrist Stanislav Goff, Franciscan monk Richard Rohr, former Christian-turned-oneness evangelist Eckhart Tolle, they all promote the oneness claim on reality. There are a bunch of these guys out there, men and women. And they're being challenged, are they being challenged to provide proof? No. Are they being laughed at out of society? No. Quite the opposite. They're being embraced as enlightened spiritual guides. For example, 2008, Oprah Winfrey and Eckhart Tolle unveiled a web-based streaming teaching series called The New Earth. It was a live-streamed event with 10 episodes. 35 million people tuned in from 139 different countries. They're getting people's attention, aren't they? Various self-appointed apostles of oneness are profoundly blind to the fact that oneness and its elevation, even deification of man, is in direct opposition to the Lord's plain and repeated command that we humble ourselves before him. When we do, he will lift us up. We're not to lift ourselves up. This is God's doing. 
I doubt that you'd need any more convincing that we are, as Scripture says, living as aliens in a foreign land. You're feeling more alien all the time. We can all see how on a daily basis that some of what's happening around us is crazy, upside down, backwards to the truth. It might feel like there's never been a time like this. There has. The truth is that the children of God have always lived among rebels who are living in darkness. The prophet Isaiah wrote of it in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. It was happening way back then. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. It's not going to turn out well. In the past, many Christians have been content to live normal appearing lives that haven't really required us to publicly declare our allegiance to Christ. That may be changing. The comforts of normalcy and the focus on living just a little better than we have before have dulled our spiritual senses and left us only marginally engaged in the job Jesus left us. Advance his kingdom by being his witness. I'll wrap this up with the thought. There are probably several people here this morning who need to hear this, including myself as I wrote it. Stop being afraid of being disliked. Would you rather have people dislike you for being too Christian? Or the Lord be displeased with you for not being Christian enough? The spiritual war we call life, it's not an optional extracurricular activity. He bought us. We belong to him. He shed his blood so that we could have reconciliation with God. Separated forever. And he was willing to pay the price. Those of us, those of us with gray hair, can we stand with our brother Paul and say we fought the good fight just because we've managed to reach old age and still believe? If your heart is still kind, keep using it. If your lips still work, keep saying to people, this is what the Lord has done for me. I say it again, stop being afraid of being disliked. If you want to fear something, fear God. There are people around us here in Battle Creek who are discouraged. They've been hearing about oneness and the coming utopia, and they've just been stumbling down various paths. Wide paths that promise peace and happiness, only to be left empty and feeling used, deeply discouraged. Are we even noticing? Yeah, we're just jars of clay. We are nothing special. But that thing that's in us is treasure. The Spirit of God and the truth of his word. Honestly speaking, this is kind of an older con congregation, wouldn't you say? 
Well, you know what? We're still breathing. And we're still functional. And we still have hearts and mouths that can speak the truth. In love and in gracious attitude, we can speak words of life to people. Stop being afraid. Some of them are going to respond. No, we don't know who. It's not our job to know who. Our job is to just be faithful with the message. Older believer, keep going. Sure, you're, maybe your world's smaller than it used to be. You don't have as much contact with as many people. Doesn't matter. God knows you, and God knows who he's put in your life. And God wants to use you. Young people, if you're lucky, you get to be old. Right? We've all tried to get to be old. But along the way, there have been lots of opportunities for us to share our faith, to be the witnesses. Don't wait, young people. Say what's true about God and what God has done to you into the lives of your friends and the young, other people you meet. Yeah, sure, some of them are going to not like you for that. So what? Probably some of them don't like you already. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Some of them are going to love you for having said that. And thank you for eternity. Okay. My message this morning was about helping you to be aware of what's coming down the pike. It's not coming, it's here. And they want to make you irrelevant. Don't let them. Love well. Represent Jesus.